Let me read a little bit of our scripture for us today. This is coming from Daniel. I'm going to read a little bit from chapter 1, a little bit from chapter 2, starting with chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these young four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants a dream and we'll interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers uh, answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asked. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. 
he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then expelled, explained the matter to Daniel. And this Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. I enjoy studying people and characters of the Bible. Uh, most of them, like myself, are um, people who learned many lessons through making mistakes. Uh, Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, Moses, Samson, King David, Jonah, Zacchaeus, Peter. All people who made great mistakes in the grace of God brought them through the mercy of God. Today I want us to look at the life of Daniel. Daniel's an example of one who made the right choices in the little things, and God later used him in a significant leadership role. Scholars say that Daniel had one of the longest tenures of leadership of all the biblical or God-fearing and following leaders in the Bible. Seventy years they say that he was in leadership. I want to pause and pray for a moment. Father, uh, as we look at your word, as we look at the scripture, as we look at this story, as we look at this servant, Daniel, help us, Father, to see the things that we can learn, the areas of our life, God, where we can um, learn from this story and better follow in your ways. May your spirit fill this room. May you take the time we have and may your words come forth that we may hear your heart and your love for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So... There's a chart that we have up here. I'm a math guy, and so um, I, uh, I, I, I use this number system to figure out what the Bi where the parts of the Bible all fit together. And so um, it's hard to see there, but there are 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. That Old Testament has three kinds of books. History books, poetry books, and prophecy books. There are 17 history books, five poetry books, and 17 prophecy books. And the 17 history books are broken down 5 and 12. The first five are the Pentateuch. That's when God told Moses, hey, you better write some of this stuff down. It's happening here. So they wrote it down. It's called the Pentateuch, those first five. Then there's 12 other history books. Then the five poetry books. And normally when we just open our Bible up, it's always Psalms because it's such a big book, right? That's right in the middle. That's one of the main, main poetry books, you know. Then there's 17 prophecy books. And they're also broken down five and 12. Five are the major prophets. They're the bigger ones. 
and they had a lot more stuff to say, and then 12 minor prophets. This book of Daniel, this story of Daniel, it's one of the major prophets. It's the last major prophet before we go into the minor prophets. So if you're looking in your Bible and you don't have a phone, which I guess you just search for now and it automatically gets you there, if you're like me where you've got to look for it, that's how you can find it, this story that we're going to look at today. Now, the book of Daniel, there's 12 chapters. The first six are moral tests that Daniel and his friends end up facing. Six moral tests. And the final six are prophecies that God uses him to provide to the people there through visions and prophecies that he's to give. And here's the thing. Daniel never gets to the heart of his ministry in those six prophecies that he's delivering unless he walks through those six moral conflicts. And that's the way our life goes. See, we have challenges and things that we walk through. And as we walk through those things, God does things in our lives that prepares us for the things that we're ultimately going to do. Some of us don't want to walk through the moral challenges. Some of us don't want to walk through the tests. We don't want to walk through those difficult things. But that's the way God works. And today, I want us to look at four things that Daniel did to remain faithful. There are four lessons I want us to take away from this uh, character of the Bible, Daniel, uh, that I think can help us because all of us want to be Daniels, right? No one wants to be Samson where you get your hair cut off and you pull the thing down on you, right? You know, We don't want to be Peter denying Christ three times, right? We don't want to be Adam and Eve, you know, going and hiding because of what we've done with shame. None of us want those things in our life, but many of us have those. So the first thing I want to point out to us, our next slide, is in verse 1-8, it says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Some translates say, uh, translations say he purposed in his heart. Okay? So, you know, the question for us is, what, is, what have we purposed in our heart? Now, if you were captured, because that's what happened, the people were captured, and, and, and Daniel and his friends were the Jewish young men that were physically fit, and they were, came from uh, good, smart backgrounds and had some abilities, and so they were selected to be developed as leaders there, okay? Now, if you were told, okay, you've been captured, and one of the things is you have to eat the best steaks and the best food and the best wine, and that's what we're making you do, how many of you would say, well, Lord, this is where you put me. You know, I know we've got these, I know we have these Levitical laws that you wanted us to follow, but, you know, I'm here, I'm just going to have to suffer through it, and uh, could you make that medium rare? You know, no, we're not going to, you know, how many of us would say, no, there's a way that God's called me to live, there's things that he's put in place that are for my best interest, I'm going to follow those things. How many of us would purpose in our heart and say, no, we're going to follow his ways? Some of us might just be scared, what are the consequences? Do we have faith that God's actually going to provide and care for us? Society tells us that if you have leadership or management skills and you don't have any character, it's okay. We see it all the time. Lord, help me from making any political statements. But we see it, right? Right? And we see it in the heroes that we, we see on our TV. Who are the, 
the athletes and the actresses and the musicians and the people that we glorify. They're people that have talent, maybe resources, but do they have character? See, gifts and talents can vault you to the front, but when you fail, and when these folks fail, society quickly makes them obsolete. Many times they're put aside, and then we're on to the next one, right? Next slide. This is one of my mentors. He's a pastor in the Philippines that I met almost 30 years ago. He's since passed away a few years ago. Basketball is the number one sport in the Philippines. <laughs> I don't know if you realize that. It's the number one sport in their country. So there's a basketball hoop everywhere. Every village, trees, they got a goal. You know, maybe no backboard, but they got a goal, okay? Got basketball everywhere there. So I would take these basketballs and give them, and he, he liked basketball. And as you can see, he's a large guy. I used to be even larger than I am now, okay? And uh, so when we got together, you know, I was, I, at one point I was 290 pounds, you know? So we're two pretty big guys, and for his culture, he's definitely considered big, you know? So we went one time, we had a service, and it was um, near the ocean. And at the end of the service, people got baptized, and he literally went right into the ocean with the people and did the baptism. And after the baptism was over, all the kids, you know, wanted to go in and play in the water and that. And he had that ball that I had given him. And he's in the water, and he's got that ball, and he's on top of it. You ever do that with a ball or something like that? And what happens to the ball? It pops out, right? Because even as big as he is, he couldn't keep that ball down with the air in that ball, right? He even on with his body on top, it kept popping up, and the kids were all running around him. They were trying to get that ball from him, you know, and he'd try to hide it and get on top of it. Boom, and it would pop out. Folks, that's what character is. When you follow God's ways and you put his things and you purpose in your heart not to defy yourself and to follow the ways of God, and you take and you live a life of character, you can't be kept down. You can't be kept down. Was it a big decision, the food, eating the food? I mean, was it really that big of a deal? I mean, couldn't they have just eaten the food? Why did they have to follow that? Was, I mean... Again, would it have been easier, just let's not ruffle the, the waters here, right? You may say you've never taken any money out of the petty cash box where you worked, or you never took any envelopes home, or took a couple stamps or pens, right? My dad was diligent about it. He wouldn't take anything from where he worked, you know? I was like, yeah, it's just a pen, or it's just an envelope, or it's just a few copies. You know, you're making some handouts for the Bible study at church. It's all right if you steal that paper from the company because it's a Bible study at church, right? It's not that big of a deal. Keith Green, now I'm dating myself, but there was an old Christian musician, Keith Green, and 40 years ago, we got some people who know Keith Green, 40 years ago, Keith Green, in one of his uh, albums, he talked about the fact that there was 200, at that time, this is early 80s, 70s, um, $200 billion in unclaimed income on U.S. tax returns and $50 billion in supplies and goods taken from companies in the U.S. by
by its employees. And that was 40 years ago, right? Next slide. Now God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. You see, folks, when we do the right things, when we choose to follow the right ways, God will move people and show favor on you. You don't have to take it into your own hands. God will work in people and he will show uh, favor on you. So the um, exercise that we did earlier today where we were saying what we were grateful for and what we were sorry about. But really, as you pointed out, it was confession. So I got a couple confessions that I already had written in my notes, so I didn't raise my hand. <laughs> years ago, this woman who worked for my organization for over 40 years, she came to me, and there was an old gentleman. He was 90, early 90s, and he had passed away, and he had been the president at the place that I had worked, the school was a not-for-profit, and um, he passed away, and there was a little insurance policy worth $5,000 on his life to basically help make sure he, we, he could be buried. And his wife had called, and so she got the file out of her, her file cabinet. This is when we had file cabinets and pieces of paper, you know, everything. And the card had never been signed by him. He never signed the card saying that his wife was to get the $5,000. This woman was heartbroken. She had started working at the organization around 1970. He was still there as the president at the time. She knew how little money he and his wife had and how important that money was going to be for them to be able to do a funeral and bury him. And she was just devastated. She's there at my desk. For me, I was like, it's really not that big of a deal, right? So I said, all right, let me see. I go. All right, go back to your office and then come back in five minutes. We'll see what we can do. So I got my pen out. And I was like, Harold W. Boone. Let me sign that again. Harold. So I tried about six, seven times, and I was like, okay, that's good enough. I can now sign it. So I went on the piece of paper. I wrote, Harold W. Boone. So she came back in and said, oh, here, it's signed now. But what are the facts? The facts are, if our organization had to, we could have paid the $5,000. Number two, we had paid the premium on the insurance policy for all these years, and we had a record that we had made the payments. So nothing illegal. The only thing that was done it was just missing the name of who the money was, you know, that he was authorized the money to go to his wife. But there was a paper trail that everything was okay. Why was my first reaction to sign the guy's name? Now, granted, my heart was I knew this lady was really upset and I wanted her to feel well. But why did I say, no, our faith and our trust is in God. I don't need to sign that piece of paper. We need to call the insurance company. We need to tell them, well, you can see in your records that we've made all these payments. But this fellow left here, you know, 30 years ago. And back then when there was paper and this and that, for some reason it was a mistake. And trust God that they would honor the thing, right? That's why I'm not Daniel. I'm more like those other characters that I listened, mentioned earlier. Next slide here. 
Chuck Swindoll, in his book, The Quest for Character, says this. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers and sisters, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance, but let the process go on until the endurance is fully developed and you will find you have become men and women of mature character, men and women of integrity with no weak spots. God sends these little tests whether it's eating the food, whether it's signing the card, these are tests. Why? Because God loves us. All of us want to follow Christ. We want to be able to testify to Christ, not only through our acts of service. This is a big service group, I can tell. Chris has been to my ministry over in Queens. We have a, a, a great ministry there with the homeless and, and other th services and things. All of us have hearts to serve and to help other people. But God wants our lives to be testimonies of character. Like Daniel was. What is character? It's the next slide. Well, the dictionary says that the distinct qualities of a person is what character is. Moral nature, the way in which a person feels, thinks, or acts, moral firmness, self-control, integrity. And I would say, do you tell the truth? When people ask me what's character, what am I looking for in people that I work with, I'm looking for people that tell the truth. Are we people that tell the truth? Do we tell the truth? Last slide. Recognizing, I think we went too far there. Well, we'll just pause. But what I wanted to leave you with on this first point is that character will raise you up. Just like the ball that was underneath, the ball that was underneath the, uh, my friend, that's character, folks. If you take the little decisions, the little choices that God brings across your life, and if you do the right thing, God will raise you up. Now, to my two things that I feel bad about, I lied twice this week. See, I have this thing that I've developed over the last period of time in my life. I'm really good at pointing out your problems and other people's mistakes and shortcomings. I'm, just, I'm good at it. I don't know. It's a gift, maybe. I don't know. It's like, you know, it's like I'm just really, really good, you know? But over this last season of my life, when I'm critical of somebody or something, God will immediately give me a snapshot of where what I'm being critical of someone else about is in my life. As soon as I say it, oh, that person, da 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 da, and then this picture comes into my mind. It's like, well, Dave, isn't that what you did two days ago? Boom, it hits me all the time. I hate it. Because I'm so good at being critical of others. I don't need these other things coming into my mind. Amen. This week, I lied twice. The first time, I believe my wife caught me. I'm on the phone with a, 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 bill, a bill that we owe. It was for gas. I put gas in my car. It was $40. It's not like I'm putting a lot of gas in my car. $40. 
this thing, but because we moved, we have the wrong address, okay? And there's a problem with getting our mail. So I'm on the phone trying to figure this out, and the bill was due, and I didn't want them to make my credit look bad like I wasn't paying my bills. So I'm having this conversation with a lady. We're working it all out, and I'm telling her about how the week before we tried to figure out the f thing on the phone. My wife and I were in the car trying to figure it out with them. And we've recently moved to Jersey City this summer. We moved to Jersey City, but we're where our ministry is in Elmhurst, Queens, in the car. We're on the phone with these people. And so I said, we were out of town. <laughs> well, if I really wanted to stretch it, we weren't in Jersey City, so I guess that's out of town. But I was trying to make the story sound like I was away, and that's why this wasn't handled. So can you just give me a little slack on the fact that it might look like it's late, the payment, you know? Because I don't want you to charge me interest, you know? I mean, what's interest on $40 for, you know, two days, right? Pennies. But I didn't tell the truth. Second time I lied this week was I'm in a course, and they're asking you, how are you doing with practicing the skills, you know? And when it was my turn, I said, oh, I'm a, a scale of one to five. I said, I'm a three out of five. Now, it's subjective, but even so, I'm a one out of five. If I was telling the truth, I'd have said to the teacher, I'm a one out of five. I'm not a three out of five. Boy, these are little things. But folks, if we can't tell the truth with little things, what are we going to do when God puts the big things in front of us? All right? Character, telling the truth, character will raise you up. Amen? Amen. All right, let's keep moving here. All right. Um, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 17. It says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding. Not all gifts are found in one leader or person. And great leaders, good leaders, lead out of a team. And smart people, and I can see we got a lot of smart people here, smart people you work with a team, okay? Um, working alone or working with others, um, using your gifts, okay? You have to decide, am I gonna be a lone ranger where I'm doing it all by myself or am I gonna do it as a team, okay? Now I can tell you have a great keyboard player here in your worship team. The truth is he probably could have just led the worship with the keyboard himself. He didn't really need the drummer or the bass player, you know what I mean? And I'd say the same of the worship leader. Your worship leader was phenomenal. He didn't need another singer up there with him. But boy, how much better was it because they did it as a team? You know, how much better was it because we had the drummer at times taking it when we were going without the other instrumentalists? And boy, when that bass came in, wasn't that great? And boy, when she took the lead on the mic during those things and led us, wow, wasn't that awesome? We don't get that if we have great people, and you have great people, musicians here. If they're going it alone, it's not as good. When we go as a team, we're so much better. And sometimes, you know, the, the, the hurdle for us is um, we see differences in other people, and we see that as a negative. Oh, they're not like me. They don't do it my way. They're a little bit different. But when we look together and we see, no, that's a strength. The fact that they're good at that and I'm good at this, boy, when we put it together, we're even better, right? Christmas is coming soon, and I'm assuming 
that we're going to be giving some gifts, right? We're going to be giving some gifts, you know, uh, to people. And doesn't it feel good when on Christmas somebody opens your gift and you see how they look like, oh, boy, they really like that, you know? You know, I, I got my husband his, his, his favorite sport team jersey with his favorite player on it, you know? Wow, look at him. I know he can't wait to put that on and go to, go to a game next summer, you know? It's a, we, we, we feel good, you know? We feel good about giving gifts and how people respond to it. But how do we do it receiving gifts? How are we with receiving gifts? Because not everybody can be gift givers. People have to have gift receivers. We have to be able to do both of those things, right? My nieces and nephews, you know, I'm, when they were younger, my wife used to put so much energy into getting them just the right Christmas gifts, and they would open the gift, and then they'd say, is this it? You know? And, and, and she'd go home feeling so upset. I'm like, oh, they're just kids. It's okay. They're just kids, you know? It's like, it's all right, you know? But we got to be able to give gifts and receive gifts. And when you're on a team, you're a part of helping others and letting others help you. And we see that here with Daniel and his friends. Um, so being on a team, that's important. But also another part is um, recognizing that you got to pick the right teammates, right? You ever been in the schoolyard, you know, whether you're playing dodgeball when you're a kid or basketball or whatever it is, you know, you always say, okay, you pick one, then I'll pick one. You're, you're picking the right players, right? And if any of you here are parents, you realize you tell your kids, got find the right friends, right? That's the key to success, find the right friends. Daniel had a team around him. He picked the right friends. Um, a lot of people don't realize this, but I got an amen earlier on the basketball comment about the Philippines. Did you know that basketball was founded by a pastor? The sport of basketball was founded by a pastor and it was created in a YMCA. And when the game was created, it was created to teach kids how to share. There was no dribbling. There was no dribbling. You didn't dribble the ball like you see today. All you could do was pass. So I pass it to him, he passes to her. She passes to her, boom. We just pass the ball around, and you try to get close to where the basket was on the wall. And I'm sure many of you have heard this, but actually what the pastor did was he took an old peach basket, took the bottom out of the basket, and nailed it on the wall in the YMCA. So the kids passed around. Whoever got close, boom, they put it up and put it in the basket. It was meant to teach people how to share. Thankfully, he's dead, this pastor, because if he saw a current MBA, he'd really, you know freak out where it's everybody take it by themselves you know and try to score but that's not the way God wants it God wants it to be a team God wants all of us sharing together okay not all to one person but everybody doing their part okay when I was in in school when I was younger my wife and I who she got shouted out earlier but she's here with me 38 years we've been married and and, and we've known each other for 50 years Okay, because um, I moved into the neighborhood and I went over and I knocked on the door and said, any kids live here? You know, <laughs> thankfully she came out with her three brothers and the rest is history, you know. Um, but we were getting married very young and I had some good Christian friends and I started playing in a little poker game. Okay, and it wasn't for big money. Okay, 
but I was playing this poker game. And they finally called me aside and they said, Dave, first off, we think it's crazy you're getting married at 18, 19 years of age. But if you're doing that, does this really align with what you're saying your values are? What you're, you're saying, hey, you're committed to this gal. You're going to get married even though you're young. It's what you feel God wants for your life. Do you really have the time and the resources to be playing in a poker game and running the risks that go there? They called me out. And they were right. And it wasn't, it was penny, nickel, quarter poker. It wasn't like I was playing big money. But they're saying, is that kind of a thing what you want to put in your life for the life that you say you want to live? Is that what you should be doing? All right. We got to keep moving for time. Next slide is what you need to hear. Next slide. Teams, they encourage using your gifts, they affirm and support your values, and they can pray with and for you. Next slide. Because teams can hold you up. Character will raise you up. Teams can hold you up. Amen. This next one's my, my, my favorite one. Verse 1-8, very beginning, the very first scripture verse we read, said, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official, for permission not to defile himself. He didn't say, I'm following God's ways. No, he said, God placed this authority over me. If he placed this authority over me, I can trust him that I'm going to tell the authority why I'm doing this. Right? He recognized that authority that was placed over him. He asked for permission. My first youth leader, who ended up leading me to Christ, he got this role being over this youth. All of us were completely out of control, all right? And we, um, we, we, we weren't honoring our parents. We were bad kids, basically. And so that leads him to say, we should do a Bible study in Ephesians. Because in Ephesians 6, you have those first four verses that talk about obey, children obey your parents, right? Boy, he's nailing that one home. None of us listened to him. We never obeyed our parents. We didn't get a thing out of the Bible study. But the next part of the passage is Ephesians 6, 5, 9, slaves and masters. And when he gets to that, he realizes the machine shop that he works in, he doesn't respect his manager, and he doesn't listen to his manager, and he doesn't follow the rules of his manager. He's convicted. He's in the Bible study. He's now to us kids who are, again, still out of control, not obeying our parents, not listening, not doing what we're supposed to do. But he talks about how God's doing this. And over the next several years, I watched how God raised him up, character. God raised him up and gave him a different role, making more money and a different position in that company that he had worked on that machine in for years. Why? Because he recognized he needed to submit to the authority God placed over him. All right? Verse 2.14 says, Daniel spoke with wisdom intact. How do we respond when people around us do what we believe to be insane? You realize some of the things that were going on in this passage were insane. Okay, I need you to interpret my dream. Um, well, tell me the dream. Well, I'm not going to tell you the dream because you'll just make up an interpretation. So I want you to tell me what the dream was. I mean, who does that, right? The guy's insane, right? How do we respond when people, are, when people wrong us? Is our response a reflection of what is in us? And what's in us? What's inside of us? 
When we get upset, what comes out? What comes out is what's inside, and many times what's inside isn't good. Then, when he finds out that the king's going to kill everybody because they can't do it, it says that he went to the king and he asked, and the king gave him additional time. Why? He trusted God, this is what I'm going to do, and he put it in God's hand, if this is what you want. And God, you know what, if that means I get killed too, then I'm going to get killed, but I'm going to trust you. See, when we trust God, things like that work out. I had a friend who was on a team, and he, he was on a team with me. It was a senior team. He had his own team. And his own team didn't follow him, didn't listen to him, didn't do the things that he wanted done. He didn't know why. Well, then when he joined our senior team, and I saw how he behaved, in the middle of the meetings, he's on his laptop doing other stuff. He's not paying attention to the fellow who was the boss. Wasn't doing anything. Folks, if you can't be on a team and follow leadership and follow the people that are in authority over you, no one's ever following your leadership. So if you want to be a leader and you can't follow someone else's leader, God's not going to give you any followers either, right? Because you need to model the behaviors that you think are right. When you see someone submit to authority and following other people, you're like, okay, I could follow that person because they're under authority. Over the, over the past 30 years, okay, we have seen younger and younger people end up in leadership, whether they're CEOs of these mega million dollar tech companies that are shaping our culture, whether it's teenage music, musicians shaping our culture with lyrics. And in recent days, we have seen very old presidents elected in our country. Again, no political statements intended. But my question for us is, are we growing up or are we just aging? And I start that question with me regularly. Am I getting grayer, balder, fatter, slower? I played basketball with kids from my church last week. I, I think I'm done. <laughs> I think I finally realized I'm over the hill. The question for us is, are we aging or are we growing up? And I think many times some of us are just getting grayer, fatter, slower, and we're not really growing up. Next slide. Submitting to authority. That's how you grow up. So what are we taking away from Daniel? We're saying that character is what raises us up, not our talents and our abilities right? We're saying teams will hold us up. Your own talents and going it alone, that's not how you get it. You get a team of people and the right people and good people that have your values and are going to with you stand and you're going to purpose in your heart to follow God's ways. And thirdly, submitting to authority will grow you up, folks, if you can't submit to authority. And God's placed all kinds of authority in our lives, all right? Can we submit to authority? Okay, next slide here. I, time, we're in trouble. I'm sorry. Okay. Recognizing the source of power will lift up God. Folks, in verse 12, Daniel says, test us for 10 days because Daniel believed that God would sustain them. In, in chapter 2, Daniel urged Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to plead to God for mercy. He went to God when he needed something to happen. Are we going to God when we need stuff to happen? When God provides for Daniel with the dream and the interpretation, it says he praised God of heaven before even going back to the king. 
He got the answer he needed so that the king wouldn't kill everybody and everything would work out. He, you know, do we run out the door with those answers that when they come to us? Or does he say, no, I'm going to stop and pause here. I could have recognized that God's met us. God has delivered. Too many times we run off with the solutions and run off with the things that we have, even when they come from God himself. He doesn't. He stops. And because he does that, the king and others see that it is God. Never did they respond, boy, Daniel's great. Now, did Daniel get raised up? Yes, he did. But when we recognize the source of power, we will lift up God. All right, here's my concluding thoughts for us. Um, are we known as people of character? Do we tell the truth in little things? Are we trying to go through life alone? Or do we look for others to team with that share our values? We're approaching the end of another calendar year. And the question for all of us is, have we aged or have we matured and grown up? Are we passing the character tests that come into our lives each week? Next Step Community Church is soon celebrating, I believe, 200 years as a church, which is amazing. Do our lives as individuals and collectively here at this church reflect character that is God-honoring? Do we serve together as a team that shares our gifts with each other, supports each other, with shared values, and are we holding each other up with our prayers? Are we submitted to the authority that God has placed in our lives? Our parents, for any young people here, pastors, supervisors, government officials, your condo board, your landlord. I even added the sanitation department. Is everybody sorting the recyclables? See, living lives like this requires a humility and a dependence and trust in God that he will grant us favor as we follow his ways.